Hello and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. We exist to see lives transformed through Jesus and are located in the heart of Surrey, BC, Canada. To find out more, visit us at horizonchurch.ca. We hope this message blesses and inspires you. Good morning. Good to see everyone this morning. It's getting closer to longer days. Is anybody enjoying the little longer days? Yeah. As we come out of the cold and the dark. Uh, yesterday, I was, uh, I knew longer days are coming. I went, I was going to buy some new shoes for uh, getting in preparation for a half marathon, which I haven't, last time I did that was a decade ago, uh, and I was different <laughs> a decade ago. Uh, when, and when I was there, every, there were, I was looking at certain shoes, and this one was out, and this one was out, and this one was out. And I was talking to the guy beside me, the ones he won weren't there, because people were making some shifts, and people were getting back into running, uh, because the weather has changed. The season had changed. And you have to recognize when seasons change, because you need to be differently equipped in one season than you do in another season. And if I try to use my work boots or my run, uh, my winter boots to do a half marathon, I won't, probably won't succeed or I'll be in a lot of pain or I won't finish. Uh, one thing about going back uh, into it is there's a whole lot of training involved, uh, months of it in fact, and I'm not looking forward to it at all. Um, because it feels when you first start, when you haven't run for a long time, it feels like you're going to die. If you've ever done it before, if you've never done it before, uh, maybe try it, but if you've never, never, never done it before, maybe talk to your doctor before you try it. That could be good too. Uh, but you, you run and your legs feel like they're going to break, your breath you can't get, you just want to stop and you've just, all you've done is get off the porch. And that's, that's just how it is. And of course, I know the morning when I begin again, because uh, I got a rainproof jacket and, and all, a few things to help me stay, can, stay into it. But I know that it will feel like it will not feel good. But I know that there's a goal at the end. Uh, I don't want to just uh, say I signed up for a race. I don't want to just read up about a race. I want to participate in a race and I want to finish the race. And uh, it'll feel a little bit like I've died and come back to life by the time it's all done. Revive. I've said all that because we're in a different season in our world right now. And we need to be revived. Wherever we're at, we need to be revived. Maybe you've been following the news a little bit over the last number of weeks about stories of re revival breaking out in places in universities, Asbury University, where they went on for many, a couple of weeks, just an extended worship, 24 hours a day. It's broken out into other universities. There's, uh, I, I saw in, in various places all around the world where people are not just having extended times of worship, but it's repentance, people sharing Jesus, people coming back to the Lord, people responding to Jesus. And something uh, is stirring in the spirit. At least I think so. I don't know if anybody else feels that. Something is stirring in the spirit. And you have to recognize the times and the seasons and I feel like, I said this at the beginning of the year, that we've turned a page into something that we have an opportunity to enter into. Not a guarantee that we will enter into, an opportunity to enter into. Uh, two weeks ago, 
we were talking, Shanda and I got a call from one of the pastors that we help uh, in the city. And they said it was about four o'clock or three o'clock. And they said, our service just ended at two o'clock. And I said, oh, that's amazing. When did it start? Well, we started with prayer at nine in worship uh, in our pre-service prayer. And that's as far as we got for five hours. And he said, we're taking a little break, and we're going to start again at 5 if you want to come. So we scarfed down some food and got into the room. And there's just worship, magnifying Jesus, lifting high Jesus, repentance, weeping, things happening. And some of us would be excited at the thought of this word revival. Some of you would be leery at it, and some of you are saying, what are you talking about? We're going to talk a little bit about that. I'm interrupting our series because I think we need to talk about this from a biblical and historical perspective and also perhaps how we could posture ourselves to not just observe but participate in what God might be doing in this time. Because revival, what does it mean? Scripturally, the words mean things like be quickened, to be revived from sickness, to be revived from discouragement of the spirit from faintness, from weakness, to quicken, to refresh with joy, to refresh with hope. Do we need more joy in our world today? Do we need more hope in our world today? Do we need less discouragement in our world today? Do we need less anxiety in our world today? The dictionary meaning of revive means to return or recall from a state of inertia or weariness as the revival of spirits. Quickly, so I don't have to go through the entire Old Testament, uh, I want to look at some characteristics of major revivals in the Old Testament. I think it's going to go on the screen here in a moment. Uh, but the, just quickly run through them. First, there was a, always in response to deep moral darkness and national depression. Sound familiar? Rested on the Word of God. It was not just emotional times, but almost always it was either initiated by or very early in the very early stages was grounded in the word of God that, that his way and his standard caused people to say, oh my gosh, I need help. There was a repentance of sin and anything questionable. There was a returning to, God, to worship of God in prayer, in fasting, in singing, in generosity. There's a restoration of great joy and gladness. And there's a renewed engagement in God's purposes, seeing healings and deliverances, salvations and reconciliation. But initially, revival has little to do with the world out there. It has more to do with the world first in here, inside of us, and in the house of God, the people of God. Revival is restoring our love relationship with Jesus. It's a wake-up call of repentance. Revival wars on apathy of heart and spirit. Revival is giving God our unqualified yes. Not yes, but, or yes, if, but just yes, Lord. Whatever you ask, whatever it takes, God, I submit to you. Revival fills us with the Holy Spirit, and along with that, new joy, new courage, new hope, new expectancy, and a power to engage all in with the purpose of God. Revival is extended worship, but it's more than extended worship times. 
Worship times that fill us, worship times that shift us, worship times that touch our emotions but go deeper than our emotions. Revival means people surrendering afresh to the purposes of God. Revival means surrendering and basking in the great love of God, the God who loved us while we were yet sinners, the God who loved us first before we ever loved him. It's a people more in the word of God, people repenting, people confessing. It's people with greater joy. It's people with greater hope. It's people with greater love. It's people with uh, moving in the gifts of the spirit. It's more salvations, more sharing of the goodness of Jesus, a greater generosity, a greater sense of community, greater filling with the spirit of God. Revival is actually, though, restoring us to what the normal Christian life should be. I want to look real quick at a couple of spots. Acts chapter 8, the New Testament revival. This uh, begins, it's earlier in Acts chapter 2. There's an incredible outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Many, many people come to know Jesus, 3,000. And then there was, a, they were doing all kinds of things, serving one another, loving on one another, meeting together. Uh, but they weren't obeying Jesus, which was, he said, I want you to take this not only to Jerusalem, but to Judea, uh, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And so persecution came on, and, and one of the, the deacons was scattered and preached the word, uh, went down to a place called Samaria. And we pick it up in Acts chapter 8, verses 5 to 8, and I think verse 17. Philip went. Somebody say went. That's the, usually the first thing that happens, Movement. Philip went down to, the city in, to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah. That's Jesus there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many. And many who were paralyzed or lamed were healed. So there was great joy in the city. And then down to verse 17, Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So there was a going, there was a preaching of Jesus. There were signs and wonders. There was miracles. There was a deliverance from demonic uh, oppression and depression. There was people getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. There was baptism in water. And there was great joy in the city because of what was happening. Great joy in the city. Our city needs to see a church like that. What a church. Yeah, that's great, Craig. That's 2,000 years ago. Okay, we're going to quickly go through some historical revivals, picking up in 1904 and 5 in uh, Wales. It was a move marked by fervent prayer. The person who was at the forefront of it did not want to be. There's a 26-year-old by the name of Evan Roberts. And the story is told that all, as God began to move and people began to get saved, the room was, a room was filled with hundreds and hundreds of people. And he was the keynote speaker. And he came out from a side room and he came to the front row and he didn't preach. He sat and or turned and kneeled at his seat and prayed for three hours. And everybody is like, what? And God began to move in the middle of that moment. And in the course of less than a year, 6% of the population over the age of 11 surrendered their lives to Jesus, led by a 26-year-old. 
And the police were left with virtually nothing to do and the courts were empty. Saloons and bars shut down for lack of business. Relationships were healed and marriages restored. Old debts that were owed were paid off in full. Profanity disappeared. It was said that the horses and mules in the coal mines were unable to do their job because the men who had trained them only used curse words and they stopped cursing. So the horses and donkeys were like, what, where, what, how? Now, if that same thing happened today, it would be the equivalent of, in less than a year, two million people in Canada coming to Jesus. It would be the equivalent in our city of Surrey, in less than a year, 25,000 people coming to know Jesus in Surrey alone. We need an ongoing encounter with God that leads to momentum for God. And then I drop down to the Azusa Street Revival, named after a street in uh, Los Angeles. The first edition of the Apostolic Faith gave this as their first-hand report. Proud, well-dressed preachers come to investigate this move of God. And soon their high looks were replaced with wonder and then conviction. And very often you will find them in a short time wallowing on the dirt, dirty floor, asking God to forgive them and make them as little children. There was an outpouring of God's presence and his love and his grace. And the person at the front of the parade who was not even wanting to lead, lead it, history tells us that he would often put his head under the pulpit inside of a box, an apple box. And most of the time he didn't preach, he just prayed. He was a one-eyed black man by the name of William J. Seymour leading in the middle of a segregated world where he was, had to drink from a different fountain and go in a different washroom and sit in a different part of the bus. But God used him. And it says this, that among the first-hand accounts were reports of the blind having their sight restored, diseases cured instantly, immigrants speaking in German and Yiddish and Spanish, were being spoken to in their native tongue by uneducated black people. This is a first-hand account. Uneducated black people who were being moved on by the Holy Spirit, hearing what they heard and speaking back to them in their tongue that they had not learned. And the modern Pentecostal movement has seen that came out of that has seen millions of salvations, families changed, demonic oppression lifted, addicts set free, orphans and widows helped tracing back to that move of God. We need a move of God. In 1948, the Latter Rain Revival, which this church in one branch of our uh, history traces back to, this was among a group of students in an orf, uh, a Bible college in North Battleford in Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan. God can move in Saskatchewan. Come on, people. I'm teasing. But from the latter part of October 1947 until February 1948, members, students of that school participated in regular fasting and prayer. Classes were suspended at times to encourage the movement which most of the school began to participate in. Some students reported difficulty studying, not because they were on TikTok, but because of their intense motivation to pray and to fast. Students at the front. In February 1948, with the involvement of various leaders, students were in extended chapel services for four days in worship. 
And this procedure that seemed to emerge out of it of the laying on of hands and prophetic words began to flow. And that revival quickly spread. And I'm missing lots of details. So don't, don't, please don't come at later and say, you missed this and you missed that. I'm trying to root into a few moments, okay? The revival quickly spread around the country and the world and was joined by numerous churches and individuals, thousands of churches worldwide that have won millions to Jesus, traced their roots to the latter rain revival. This church... Glad Tidings uh, in Vancouver, uh, City Bible, Manor House in Portland, which has gone on to plant hundreds and hundreds of churches around the world. Uh, Glad Tidings that saw missionaries sent out to five or six nations. Bible schools started because students responded to God and everybody else tried to keep up. We need ongoing encounters with God that lead to momentum for God. In the 1950s, there was a healing evangelist of that kind of flowed out of that salvation, signs, wonders, and miracles. Oral Roberts, William Branham, A.A. Allen, and many others. They didn't all finish well, but they all started well. The 1960s charismatic renewal, which was the movement of the Holy Spirit in mainline denominations from the Catholic to the United to the Episcopal, where there began to be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, people speaking in tongues, people evangelizing, people getting healed, all moving of God. And then that brings us to the 1970s, the Jesus People Movement. Some of you in the room were there. I watched a movie last night. I don't ordinarily recommend movies, but I watched, it's called The Jesus Revolution. It's a story about this, and uh, I would highly encourage you to go to it. it. I wept most of the movie, because I see there's so many parallels to our day, but anyway... One of the most interesting aspects of the Jesus People revival was that it was not so much a geographically centered revival, but more of a demographic revival, primarily among countercultural young hippies, as they were called in those days. Hippies. Anti war, open drugs, free sex, rebellion throughout America and parts of the Western world, but a move of God began to stir among a generation that had been written off. And it all started, when it all started, the church generally rejected them. But there was a few that opened their doors, and one was Open Bible Chapel, which is another branch of our history. It was led by, started primarily, not the only person, but one of the main characters was Lonnie Frisbee. That's his name. He was barely 18 years old, had an encounter with God, was searching for God, had a, many difficult things in his life, but God began to use him, and a church named Calvary Chapel was one of the first to kind of open her doors in, in, in the Los Angeles area, and God began to move, and, and thousands upon thousands were saved and came to know Jesus, spread up the West Coast, even got to Vancouver and into the Western world and into the UK and moved. In. And they say that within North America, there was approximately 3 million came to know Jesus over the course of those 8 to 10 years. Because this revival was not only rebellion against the traditional church, but was rebellion against the drugs and the free love of the counterculture. They were rebelling by what was and becoming what they were called Jesus freaks. And they had this slogan, one way. If you were around then, just do that at me. Yeah. One way. 
Still one way. Then in the 90s, starting on January 20th, 1994, and meetings that continued six days a week for the next 12 and a half years in Toronto and then spread around the world, millions of people globally had an incredible encounter with God, were stirred with a fresh love from the Father. I was around for this, went, I actually went uh, to Toronto. God incredibly impacted Shanda and I. There, there was lots of spiritual impact around the world, things such as physical healing. When we were in Campbell River at this time, and there was a guy there by the name of Lee, and Lee was on disability because he had had a bad car accident. His back was in all kinds of a mess. He could not work. Uh, and, and there was a time in a service there where he was responding. He was up at the front, and he had his hands in the air, and you heard everybody around him heard, crack, 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 and his back was being fixed. And he went off of disability and he went back to work and he went into serve, actually served for ministry for a number of years and had an incredible healing moment right at the altar right there and many other things like that. Some global movements started out of that, such as Iris Ministry with Heidi and Roland Baker, which is incredible if you haven't heard of that. The Bethel Church and music in California were powerfully impacted by this move of God. All great history. Wonderful stories of the Old Testament, the New Testament, of our long and recent history. But what now? What about us? What about you? What about me? Do we want a revival? Do we need a revival? Friends, family, and neighbors go into eternity without God said this a couple of weeks ago, that I am far too comfortable with my neighbors going to an eternity without God. I repent. Sleepy churches, apostate churches, anxiety, fear, weariness, secret sins, division, depression, loss of joy, survival mode, addictions, destroying lives and families, immorality, broken marriages, broken families, people dying every day of overdoses, others struggling with demonic depression and oppression, gender confusion. Are Gen Zs more vulnerable to suicide than any other generation right now? One in our city this week, I don't know if you saw it, 14-year-old hockey player. Took his life. But revivals that shift churches, regions, or nations are sustained ongoing encounters with God's great love and God's great power because he, only he can shift our attitudes and our actions. It's meant to bring us, revival is meant to bring us into fresh encounters with God's love and grace that leads us to repentance, leads us to salvations, leads to deliverances, leads to depression lifting, leads to hope restoring, leads to addicts being freed, leads to healings, leads to miracles, leads to relationships restored, lives changed, marriages rescued, 
but I don't want us to read about them on the pages of history. Leonard Ravenhill, an English evangelist prophet, he's just passed away, he's passed away for probably 15, 18 years now, had a passion for revival. He said this, I offer it as my considered judgment that the main reason we do not now have a heaven-born spirit-operated revival in our day is that we are content to live without it. But revival alone shakes the devil's kingdoms, he said, breaks his power, robs him of eternal possessions, and releases captives. When we get humble enough and desperate enough and hungry enough and concerned enough and passionate enough and broken enough and clean enough and prayerful enough that God will send us a revival, then God will send us a revival. 1904, a 26-year-old single man, 1906, a one-eyed black man in a segregated world, 1948, students, 1970, students. God will use whoever makes themselves available. So I guess the question is to us is, are we content to live without it? Or Will we humble ourselves? Are we desperate yet? Are we concerned enough? Are we hungry for a move of God in this generation? It's on the front row this morning during worship, and the Lord convicted me of labeling a generation instead of loving a generation. This generation has this issue, this issue, this issue, this issue. Stop labeling and start loving, Craig. Are we content to just run out the string? By that I mean just maybe you're of a certain age and you're like, well, I only got so long left. It's leave it to the next generation. Second Kings 20, there's a king by the name of Hezekiah. And he had done some things and there was going to be judgment coming. And the prophet said, it's going to come to your sons and your daughters. And the scripture records this. He says something to the effect of he was kind of relieved because he said, well, at least it won't happen in my time. Are we willing to stop playing at the Christian life and turn fully to God? Notice I said we, not me, not you, we. Are we willing to give God our unqualified yes? When I look at the scriptures, I see some revival essentials. We've out of the New Testament, Acts 3, 19 to 20, and James 4, 7 to 8. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. James 4, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Revival essentials, repenting of sin, returning to God, resisting the devil. God's response, he forgives, he comes near, he refreshes, he restores.
All these things are prayer-based, repenting of sin, returning to God, resisting the devil. Every generation has different issues. Every time and season has different issues. And revival in every generation almost always was, pre- was rejected by the previous generation. The latter rain people were rejected and called cultic by the Azusa people. The revival springing up in the Jesus people time Many churches closed their doors to young people hungry and looking for God. Said, you're not welcome. It might, I'm not going to say it might, it will look different in 2023, 24, whenever we see a full-on breakout. It will sound different. The young might initiate it, but maybe some of us would be willing to facilitate it might be uncomfortable. might be challenging. But the pain of our world needs the answer that only heaven can bring. Some things that will be the same, though. Same hunger. Same love. The same Jesus. The same deliverance. The same salvation. The same surrender. The same miracles. The same touch of God. Pastor in New York City who God's using, maybe you may have heard of him or not. God comes where he's wanted. I want that cry to intensify with us. God, we want you here. There's this unique thing in Christendom that God is with us, but all throughout Scripture, there's these invitations to draw near to him. It's not either or, it's both and. He's absolutely with you. But there are times when we turn towards him. We turn from, we turn towards him. I repent of, I return to, and just even in that act of returning to him, the the enemy, his power gets less in my life. Resist him. How do I resist? By returning. God comes where he's invited. God moves where he's most welcome. Let us cry, God, we want you here. We hope you enjoyed this message from Horizon Church. To find your next step, visit horizonfam.ca. Have a great week.